This is The Playbook. This is Dave Meltzer, CEO of Sports One Marketing, here with Entrepreneur The Playbook. And I have a special guest who allowed us to come into his home, Howard Bihar. Good to see you. Nice to see you. One of the founders and president of Starbucks and Starbucks International, taking, as I've read, the company from about 28 stores to over 400, which I think is such a critical piece. What I'm going to start with is something that probably most people don't. It's radical humility. Um, my life changed. I've been blessed my whole life, similar to yours, it seems, as success comes. But where my life really changed was when I learned those two words, radical humility. When I stopped taking myself so seriously and thinking, give me a little bit of background on where this humility of yours comes from and, and how others can really understand and appreciate humility. Well, you know, most of us, are who we are comes from our, from our heritage, from our roots. Both of my parents were immigrants to the United States in the early 1900s. And my dad came from Bulgaria, you know, living on dirt floors with sticks as walls, and my mother was the same way. So that's how I grew up, learning and hearing about their lessons in life and what they learned and how they survived. And my dad had a small mom-and-pop grocery store in a neighborhood here in Seattle. And that, that small mom-and-pop grocery store was really the provider of goods and services or food for the neighborhood. And he never saw his, the people that came into his stores as customers. He saw them as friends you know, and neighbors. And I remember one day when I was about eight years old, my dad asked me to go get a couple of baskets of strawberries out of the back of the store. There was a customer at the front counter, and so I brought the baskets of strawberries. My dad took the baskets of strawberries, put them in the bag, and the customer left. And I, I was old enough to understand and to know that my dad hadn't rung them up on the cash register. In those days, it was push-button cash right. register, right? And a hand crank. And, uh, and I said, Dad, you forgot to ring those up. And he said, Howard, not everything we do in life do we need to get paid for. Sometimes we just do things to help other people out. And I happen to know that these people like strawberries, and right now they're having tough economic times. So it's my way of just being a good friend and a good neighbor. And you know, I didn't recognize at the time what that was all about. But over the years, I remembered that, that story and that example, and that kind of drove my life. We're all here to serve other people. That's our only role in life. And so that's where it comes from. And I, and I love that. I've been blessed to write a book called Compassionate Capitalism and talk about merchant priests, yeah. which I think were the first servant leaders. Right, they were. And, and uh, for, you're one of the icons for me as I wrote the books with Blaine Bartlett, who yeah. worked with you, yeah. uh, and you know, one of the world business consultants. But he explained to me how you could shift the paradigm of value, that the economics of, I have a motto for my business, make a lot of money to help a lot of people and have a lot of fun, and a lot of people, they can't reconcile making money and helping yeah. people. Yeah, well, you help people, you have a lot of fun, and the money comes in. Exactly. It's that order. <laughs> it's not the other way around. And you do that by having certain values. Yeah, right. Can you give, you know, this is for entrepreneurs, how important those values are some of the key values that you believe make a servant leader? I think number one is honesty. Is that, and you know, when you say a word like honesty as a value, everybody would define it a little bit differently. So my definition is that I always say what's on my mind. I always say the truth. Uh, never in an unloving way, but always in a way that if somebody asks me a question, they're gonna get an honest answer from me. 
and it's the way that I ran the our business is that you know we had lots of issues but you had to be upfront with your people you couldn't wait till they asked you the question you had to tell them before they asked you the question so that they were always ahead of the game and so honesty I think is critical in any to be a servant leader or a conscious capitalist um, the, the second thing is trust and you have to give trust before you get trust uh, you know a lot of people say well you know prove that you're trustworthy you know I say prove that you're untrustworthy and that's the way I've always operated so I've given trust before I've got trust and then people had to develop trust in me I had to be honest and live up to their expectations and that built trust and then a word that doesn't get used much in the business world love you truly have to first love yourself unconditionally but most importantly you have to love others and not in the way that you and I might love our children or our, our spouses but in the way that you would love other human beings because they are human beings and so those are the three to me most important things in any servant leadership model or any conscious capitalist model it's interesting you know with uh, honesty trust and love there's one ingredient in the corporate world that is difficult and that's forgiveness yes what role does forgiveness play and where in the business world do you you know cross the line where there's some things that you just can't forgive and you know business decisions have to be made especially if you're honest yeah sure I think yeah forgiveness is I think is really important people make mistakes we're human beings you know whenever you hear a CEO said that our people are our most important asset you better question that because people are not assets assets are trucks computers automobiles etc they always give you what you expect people never give you what you expect they always a little bit off and sometimes they make a mistake and so you got to be able to forgive and to coach and to care and to and you know to love them just like you loved them when they were coming in the door now there are some things that you can forgive but it doesn't mean that they need they can work with you anymore you can, can forgive them because they made a mistake but it's such a serious mistake that they need to find someplace else to work when they've stolen something from money in our case at Starbucks if they treated people without respect and dignity you could miss your numbers at Starbucks two or three years in a row not never get fired <laughs> but if you messed with the people that was a way out the door now we would try to help you try to coach you but sometimes people just couldn't get that they they weren't people they didn't really care about people they you know they thought people were untrustworthy they were abusers and we didn't have any room for that and you know you wrote a book about this which I loved because you really didn't believe that you were in the coffee business you were in the people business yeah. how do you motivate you know my my dad had this great saying and I and I loved it he said you know Dave if you don't like somebody wish upon them employees and overhead yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was reading your book I was reading your book thinking gosh you know that's not true like I I, I see where your background comes from that yeah. people don't enjoy their job because they don't enjoy the people how do you, you know, really instill the idea this is a people business? Uh, well, you have to practice it first, mm -hmm. right? You can say all the things you want to say. If you don't act it, then it doesn't work. You know, culture in orga any organizations, whether it's a family, whether it's a, a business, whether whatever it happens to be, whether it's a university, you know, is it a direct reflection on the leadership of the organization? Not what the leaders say, but what the leaders do. And so the way that you you know do that you make it a people organization by acting like it's a people organization which means that you're, you you are there to serve your people before they serve you 
You know, your role as a leader is to help your people accomplish and achieve the goals that they want in their lives, and in so doing, they help you achieve your goals and the organization's goals. That's outstanding. And there is one exception to your rule that we discussed earlier, especially in the family. That's the exception of teenagers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, except for teenagers. <laughs> right. You know, so, the crazy thing about it, it's even there. Yeah. It is, you know. They're smart and they understand. And I, you know, I grew up in a household that my parents never asked me where I was going. They never asked me what time I was going to be home. And I was always home early and, you know, now, did I screw around a lot? Yes, I did. <laughs> you know, in today's world, you know, I might not even be here. I might be in a cell someplace. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, you got to trust people and you got to trust your kids because when you don't, they act out. What, what was the biggest, you know, you really were responsible for scaling the business. And one of the biggest questions that I get as a business coach, as someone with Entrepreneur and the TV show and everything is, how do I scale a business? Can you give us a little bit of insight on what some key points that you think uh, really helped you scale the business globally like you did? Well, there are a couple things. Number one, people that you brought into the organization. The people that you invited to come into your home, they were really, that was the most important thing. And you always had to try to get ahead of the curve because when you're growing fast, right, the, the skill sets that you need start to change and your people, you have to help your people grow and many times they can't. You got to bring people in that have those skill sets and have been there before, done that, so to speak. And so that's the big thing is getting the right people, as Jim Collins says, in Good to Great and Built to Last, get the right people on the bus and get the right people off the bus. But that's the, that's the number one thing. The second thing is that you have to constantly reinforce the values of the organization. Leaders get tired of talking about long before the people get tired of it. And I, that's one thing I really learned. No matter where I was in the world, I gave basically the same speech, that Starbucks is about people first and about coffee second. And we're here to serve, and that's it. And it was that simple. Now, I said it in a lot of different ways and, and practiced it with different examples on how we did it, because the minute you break that promise that you're here to serve, right, then people no longer trust you, and they don't serve. And so you have to constantly reinforce it. So it's, it's really people first and then constantly reinforce the values. It's interesting because a lot of people focus in all the books that I saw on your shelf from leadership, yeah. et cetera, deal with persistence. Yes. In fact, the person who introduced us, I think, is one of the most persistent people that I've no, met. No kidding. But, <laughs> but I really want to get your insight. Persistence is pretty obvious on consistency because when I look at the brand that you built yeah. and, the, and the business that you built, like other great entrepreneurs, there is a consistency, not just in the product, service, and solutions that you had and the people, but there's a consistency of an energy or a message. And I see you have a lot of quotes and a lot of wisdom all around you, in your apartments, in your houses, in your books. Where or how you know, do you train that consistency? Because like you said, things aren't easy to do every day. Yeah, you don't train it. I think you train pets. You educate and develop human beings. Nice. And uh, so that means that you got to spend the time. But primarily, it's by who you bring into the organization. And when you bring the right people into your organization, even if they don't have all the skills you need, but they have the soul of a good human being, then you can help them move forward. You can teach them all the skills about, um, you know, the things that they need to do to perform their jobs. But they... You know, it's consistency is an odd word. I hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. God, Starbucks, you're so consistent. You must have a great <laughs> training program. I said, no, we don't. 
<laughs> That's okay. good. What we had was a great recruiting program. And after a while, like attracts like. Right? And For it's sure. kind of that simple, right? You make a friend, and all of a sudden they introduce you to another friend, and you kind of share some common things, right? Perfect. And every once in a while, somebody doesn't fit. And they, they kind of don't become your friend over the long period. And that's what happens in organizations. I say they, they fall stick. away energetically, yeah. right? Yeah, I like to say consistently inconsistent. Nice. I, I like, I see, I think that the biggest mistake Starbucks can make is to be too slick. I think texture is what will make it work and what keeps it alive. And the texture means that when you come into a Starbucks store, the person that, that is meeting you, the barista, they've got to be real. Mm-hmm. Authentic. Know, uh, yeah, they've got to be authentic. And it can't be, gee, would you like to have a cup of coffee today? How about a large? Would you like an order of fries with that? Right, the Disneyland you know? look. Yeah, that, that, that. No, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's that. So you, you, talk, you talk about soul, and, you know, in my book, Compassionate Capitalism, yeah. the journey to the soul of business, I find that great leaders are able to tap into people's souls. They're able to, yes. they have a great awareness of the soul of someone, even as they recruit and you know, you do it through the laws of attraction, yeah. but there are certain questions or certain things that you're looking for to see into that soul. Can you share with us some of the things that you look for when you're looking for a good person? Sure, so when I, if I was interviewing an executive, I spent very little time on the skill sets. Now fortunately we had other people that might spend more time on the skill sets. I spent time on the human elements. Who were they as a human being? I'd ask questions like, you have brothers or sisters? And they, most of the time they'd say yes. I said, so what does your brother like about you? What does your sister not like about you? What do your parents wish you would have been instead of what you've become? You know? and, uh, and tell me about what your values are. What are your three core values that manage your life? Yeah. Right? Now, you know, it, I, I, I asked questions about who they were as people. Not, not whether or not, you know, what the resume looked like or, you know, uh, you know, and I was trying to dig deep. And another thing I would do, I would always take executives on go to uh, store visits. We'd go out and spend the day visiting stores. And, and then as we'd walk into a store, I'd watch what they did and who they talked to first and what the kinds of things they said or asked. Mm. You know, and if somebody, if there was a piece of paper on the floor and the executive walked by it or that person walked by it, Man, that was a big sign. Yeah. Because I still today pick up stuff. I do videos about picking yeah, up stuff. Yeah, I pick up cigarette. I say I'm the best cigarette butt picker up here in the world. And well, good, so, I'll bring you to my beach house. Yeah. And cl- clean the, yeah. the boardwalk yeah. together. Yeah. I believe in good deeds. And yeah. it's not the size of the deed that you do, but the quantity, the consistency of the good deeds, whether you're picking up trash or putting back shopping carts, you know, holding a door for someone or even smiling to make someone feel yeah. better. I believe there's a power of, in, of intention and attention that's combined with our deeds. Yes. How important to you, you said, you know, it doesn't pick up the trail. Do you, do you ask about the philanthropy, the, the humanitarian side of, in an interview? How do you explore that side of their giving? You know, I always find there's always a gap between what people say and what they do. And particularly in an, in an interview, when you're interviewing somebody come into the organization. And... I had what I called the bottle of wine test. You know, if I was really getting serious with somebody, we'd go out and have a nice dinner, and I'd buy a really nice bottle of wine, you know? And after a couple of glasses of wine, it's amazing what came out. And you would really find kind of... The truth. Yeah, the, who they are. 
And, you know, because if you say to somebody, well, tell me about charities that you support, yeah. everybody's got that answer. Right. You know, I am really into, you know, See. cancer. I'm into art, all important things. But, you know, I, I think you got to really dig deeper than that. You got to really watch what they do. And that's why I, I like, I love the store visits. Yeah, right? you learn and, so much. Yeah, you really learn a lot about that. And then, and then, of course, you know, they'll give you, when you get down really serious and you get references, you, you know, you use those references to get to real references. Smart. Right? You Great use advice. Those, yeah. And then you don't want, you want people that they reported to and you want people that they didn't report to and you want to find out what their reputation was. And, and at the end of the day, when you do all of that, you got a 50-50 chance. Right. That's about what it is. Yeah. That's why it's so important to promote from within. And right? I would rather have somebody that, that is not perfect from within because I know what those blemishes look like. Yeah. And I can help those versus the one coming in that knew that I have no idea what it is. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, really? I think that, yeah, I want to know who they are, but you don't really find that out until they're in the organization. One of the biggest things that changed my life was taking accountability for everything. Yes. My mom had taught me, there was two questions always to ask. What did I do to attract this in my life and what am I supposed to learn from it? Yeah. And I believe people who illuminate and are able to be accountable for everything, it's a huge plus in, in our organization in, as a servant leader. Yes. How important is accountability to you personally and, and how does that give you freedom in the world where people think, you know, there's blame, shame, and justification. How, how do you think that gives you actually, by being accountable for everything, it actually, although you're surrendering, you get control of everything. Can you share your philosophy about accountability and how that applies? Well, accountability is everything. And I, I define it, I call it performance. That performance matters in life. It doesn't make any difference whether, if you commit at home to take the garbage out, you know, my wife holds me accountable, right? Right. And, and if you have committed to your spouse to have a monogamous relationship, that's performance. That's accountability. Uh, if you've committed to your boss to have something done, done in a certain amount of time or at a certain level, that's performance. That's accountability. And it matters in this world. And we don't like it. We hate, human beings hate to be measured, right? But I guarantee you, your significant other, your wife is measuring all the time. And so are your kids, right? right? They watch what you If you say, I'm going to be at a soccer game, and you don't show up, that's not performance, is it? No. Nope. And you've shirked on your accountability. And so it matters in all parts of our lives. And it really, it really matters in organizations where we have to depend on each other. And when, you, when you're not, I always say, you know, you got to be, a, a leader has to be willing to take the bullet, no matter who the bullet belongs to. Right? Yep. It, it, you got to, when something's going wrong, you don't step out of the way and say, well, yeah, Joe over there, you know, he screwed up. You step in the way and say, I own that. You know, let, I'll get, let me see what, what happened and I'll get back to you on it. But you always have got to take it because when you don't do that, man, people lose, completely lose trust in you. When you do do that, then they do nothing but respect you. Absolutely. And they know they can trust you. I usually ask people, you know, what advice they'd give to their 21-year-old self. Um, I'm going to change it up because I don't get this opportunity that often to be yeah. with someone like you. I want you to give me, you don't know me very well, but yeah. I'm a 50 year old with four yeah. kids, yeah. you know, in th this new world of media. And I believe that I'm trying to be a compassionate capitalist, a servant leader. What advice would you give me? Well, I, these are the things that I think are important in life. And I have a, a, a quote on my office wall 
and it goes like this. If you don't know where you're going, any path will get you there. And um, so I thank all of us. It behooves all of us to live our lives thoughtfully, right, intentionally. And so that means we need to know who we are. And we need to write that down. And I've created a picture in words of Howard that it starts with what are my core, core values. It goes to what's my mission in life, which is to nurture and inspire the human spirit every day, beginning with myself first and then for others, to how I want to live my life, which I call my six Ps. And then to create a plan. To have, you should have a, a, you know, you should have a plan for your life. For a, I call it one, three, and five-year plan. You know, at 75, five years is starting to get optimistic, <laughs> but, but, uh, no. but I still do that. And how, what do I want to accomplish? You know, and it's, uh, so, and it's across multiple headings. So it might be spirituality, it might be material things, economic things, it might be marriage, it might be my kids, my grandkids, my, whatever are the things that are important in your life. And then set three or four goals under each of those. And do it with your significant other, right? Because you got to know where each other wants to go, and you figure, have to figure out how to mesh that. And so Lynn and I, you know, every two or three years we go away, and we have a planning session. <laughs> we call awesome. it the Bihar Family Retreat. <laughs> and we talk about what our individual goals are. And that's, it's really, it's changed now, you know, as we kind of both retiring or slowing down a little bit. Uh, you know, we, where do we want to go? How do we want to spend our time? What, what is it we want to leave behind now, right? Because we don't have a lifetime ahead of us. We have, you know, if we're lucky, we got 20 years. But, you know, you'd, you know, you'd have to be really lucky to really be f real functional at 95. Yeah, you know? or 111. Yeah, or 111, as you say. So, <laughs> Sorry, Diane So I, I, my advice to all people, I don't care whether if you're 15 in high school or if you're 90 years old, lay a plan out for your, the rest of your life. And you can change it. It's not written in stone. It doesn't limit what you do. It frees you to do anything because you can say in your plan, I'm going to have time to have new ideas come in all the time, you know? And adapt. And adapt. And I'm yeah. going to, uh, I'm going to meet and, uh, and learn about other people and all, any of the things you want to do. That's wonderful. But it might as well be intentional about your life because it's pretty short. I believe in that. Last question. What legacy do you want to leave? Well, you know, if I could go out, whatever the time is that I have left, and I'm in my rocking chair, and I'm in the Jewish nursing home someday, <laughs> and they, they, you know, they, I, you know, I kick the bucket lit, sitting in my rocking chair, and I hope that they write an article about me that says his mission was to nurture and inspire the human spirit, and he wasn't perfect, but he sure as hell did a good job. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you've inspired me, and hopefully many, many others here, and I really appreciate your time, and I hope to continue this relationship and receive what I really consider great wisdom and mentorship, and it's just been an honor to be here, so thank you so much. Are Howard. you talking to the right guy? Yeah, oh. you're it. I can tell. The <laughs> humility really comes. Yeah, yeah. This is Dave Meltzer with Howard Bihar here with Entrepreneur, The Playbook.